Welcome to the Sioux Nation Podcast. I'm Jill Funky, Communications Manager at Sioux Nation Ag Center, and we are so glad you found us. Sit back and listen as our staff hosts welcome guests from all aspects of the livestock production industry. It's our mission at Sioux Nation to arm regional, small, and medium producers with all of the resources we can put in front of them. And now, on with the program. I'm your Sioux Nation Ag Center staff host, Jill Funky, and joining me is Ben Beckman, UNL Extension Educator. Thank you for being part of our program. Glad to be here with you, Jill. So, Ben, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do for Extension? Sure. So I work for the University of Nebraska as an extension educator, focusing in livestock systems. My, I guess, training and background is in forage production. So I do a lot of work with pasture, grazing management, a lot also with some of the annual forages and actual perennial forages. So alfalfa production, anything basically that's going to be fed to animals, that's kind of where my focus is, is on the the growing, raising, and and managing the plant side, and then that interaction with the animal later on. And so I work with primarily my my coverage area as producers up in the northeast corner of Nebraska. I'm housed in Hardington and Cedar County, but I work with producers across the state and then um, interact actually with quite a bit with some of the extension folks up in South Dakota with the SDSU extensions. Really enjoy the role and really enjoy working with producers to work with them to get the most out of their forage production systems. Sounds great. We're really glad to have you today because we're talking about the importance of the right stocking rate. And so, you know, it seems like after a challenging winter that farmers and ranchers are even more anxious for spring this year. And spring is such a busy season, it can be really tempting for producers to fall into the same patterns from previous years. Yeah, Ben, you recently wrote an article about proper stocking and consideration of grazing approach. And so could you kind of tell us, our listeners, what are the first factors we should look at? So when we're talking about, especially this spring, when we've had such a a cool spring, it seems like, and things are really taking off now, which is, is great to see. But, you know, we were a little bit behind and you throw on top of that the dry conditions that we had last year, just the high price of harvested feed stuffs and feeding cattle through the winter and producers were really ready to turn out onto grass. The catch to that is that we a lot of times may have really stressed some of those pastures last year by grazing because the hot, dry conditions that we were dealing with, we sometimes have to overgraze. It's not a a goal that anyone's setting out to do, but sometimes it happens. Sometimes we have to stretch that pasture resource a little bit further than what we would like. And so when we're looking at it this year coming off of dry conditions and a little bit uncertain about, you know, whether or not we're going to fully recover or not from the drought last year. We really have to watch that balance and make sure that we're taking care of the pasture as well as taking care of our cows. And that's a a really difficult thing to do, especially when forage prices are so high right now. But we need to be taking into consideration and, and, you know, a lot of times trying to turn out maybe a little bit later than what we normally would to give some of those pastures some time to eel up from the damage that was done last year good rule of thumb when we're turning out in the spring that I like to have, especially on cool season pastures, is to make sure that there's at least three leaves of growth before we turn animals out. And then, you know, we might have to have a pretty quick rotation when we're looking at it, you know, this spring, because we're slow to grow up. We might not have as much forage available. And if we leave the animals in one spot, they are going to graze the same plants kind of over and over and, and 
get that regrowth because that's the best stuff available to them. That's the you know, most nutrient-dense. You look at it from a palatability standpoint. And what they're really going after is that new fresh growth. And so they're going to keep hitting all of that regrowth that keeps coming back, and they're going to continually put stress on that plant. And that can be really damaging over time. So rotating and moving that stress across pastures, giving plants some rest and some opportunity to regrow is really important. And then when we look at it from a a big picture standpoint, changing that stress over time is important as well. We have a pasture that's maybe really easy right next to our, our, you know, calving lots or calving pasture that we typically turn out to every year. We're stressing those plants at the same time every year. And so that can start to lead to shifts over time when we look at it in plant species, or it can start to weaken the plants that grow at that time and open up the door for infestations from weeds, from other things that we don't want, um, you know, that we're going to have to deal with. And so if we can shift that grazing around a little bit, and maybe we had a pasture that we grazed first last year, it's going to move to the middle of the rotation, the pasture that we grazed last, the end of the year in 2022, we're going to give that maybe a full year's rest if we can, or or really give it some time to, to recuperate from that grazing event. And just move that stress so we're not grazing at the same time every year is really important to allow those plants that time to rest, to recuperate, and to improve that health and vigor so that way we're not having to deal with some of the issues that arise when we've got weak pasture plants. It's kind of a choreographed dance. You're not just going to think about this year, but you may also think about next year in what you're doing this year. because, And also you're going to look back and you're going to look forward at the same time. It definitely is, yes. That's a great way of describing it. I've always heard, you know, a lot of times people say that that grazing management is just about as much art as it is science. And yeah, a a choreographed dance is a good way to to describe that. So what you were saying was with these variations in what your pasture yield is going to be, a lot of that has to do with precipitation. And I think you did talk about different ways to accommodate the current conditions. And again, changing your time frame, looking at what you did last year, varying it next year, so on and so forth. But you also mentioned, Ben, when you talked about the overgrazing and when we're in a drought and we just don't have as much to feed the livestock, then they're going to eat more. So can you kind of delve a little bit into what are some of the results of prolonged overgrazing? So overgrazing is, yeah, basically... uh, the plants that, that we have in pastures are, are made to withstand some amount of grazing pressure. Anytime that we go out and we harvest a, a plant, whether that's grazing or for hay or, or however we want to remove that vegetative material, we're putting some stress on that plant because it has to regrow all of that biomass that we harvested. And the plants that we use in pastures have evolved alongside grazing animals and are used to that to some extent. But when we push that too far, that just really puts stress on those plants and it starts to decrease their vigor. It makes them, they're not going to grow as much as healthy. They're not going to take up as much space as they can normally. We might actually drive some plants out of a pasture situation if we have too much overgrazing, you know, just because we've totally stressed them and they, they actually die off. And so if we do that for a prolonged period of time, we're going to shift the pasture to those species that can deal with that heavy grazing pressure. And those aren't species that we necessarily like to see. So it's either going to be species that can really 
do okay with being grazed very short. So a lot of times we see in a pasture that's chronically overgrazed, we might see some like Kentucky bluegrass, things like that, that just aren't very big producers, but are okay constantly having biomass removed down to a pretty short level just because they can deal with that. That's why we planted in our lawn and, and we're able to mow it so frequently <laughs> that grass can deal with it. But it's not ideal in a pasture situation just because we don't get as much production out of it. And the other species that we see a lot of times that start to encroach then are a lot of our annual species, things that we think of as weeds. And that's just because all of a sudden we're opening up the spots and pastures, we're creating bare ground, we're creating places for seed germination and for those annual plants to grow, and they're just taking advantage of that opportunity. So things like our, our ragweeds, um, thistles, sunflowers, snow on the mountain, just all of these different species can come in. And sometimes it's just a single flush. A lot of times after dry conditions especially, we might see some of those annual species come in, take advantage of the open conditions, and then as we regain that pasture health back, they go away again because they're out-competed fairly easy by our perennial species. But if we open that door to some of our trickier species, I'm thinking things like leafy spurge, some of our really invasive thistles, Canada thistle, musk thistle, you know, even cedar trees, we just provide that space for those young plants to get up and going. And then all of a sudden we've got issues with weeds that we're going to have to deal with for a long time to get those under control and that we can't solve with proper grazing management. And so an ounce of prevention is you know, worth a pound of cure sometimes. And so really keeping an eye on these things and, and making sure that we're not, you know, like I said, sometimes we just do have to overgraze. Sometimes that's the only option available to us but not doing it so frequently that we really start to shift our pastures in a negative direction, especially on the eastern side of, of the Great Plains here. We're dealing with cedar tree encroachment, um, you know, more and more frequently. And, you know, we get some of those species, they start to take usable forage out of production as well. And then our stocking rate gets thrown off even more. So um, it just kind of becomes a vicious cycle that we have to deal with at that point. So... Can, what can you say about the relationship between the increased productivity from genetic disposition and, and the increased consumptions of those animals versus the inputs that are required in those grazing areas? That's a, that's a great question, Jill. I guess we kind of skipped way ahead, but maybe a good place to start with that question is just the talk, stocking rate. Really what we're doing is balancing the demand for more animals with the production in our pasture at a healthy level that we can maintain. So we know that our animal is going to need to consume so much forage in order to maintain it at a certain body condition, how much it actually eats. Nutrition plays a role in there, but a lot of times our ruminants are bred and made to do very well on grass. And so especially if we've got a, you know, a dry cow or a later lactating cow, they're going to be doing just fine as long as our, our pasture is not dried out and, and totally done for. So we're balancing that demand from the animal with what the productivity on, on our pasture ground is. And so a lot of times it's really easy to say, well, this pasture has in the past been able to stock 30 cows on it and we're just going to continue to do that. But if you really look at the trend that we've had across the industry over time, we've really been selecting for traits that are production-oriented, which um, has done some you know, great things when we look at our returns from the calf side. But it's made our animals a lot of times larger than they used to be, and they need to consume. You know, They're a lot harder keeping sometimes, especially when we look at things like milk production. 
We've really driven that trait up to a point where our animals, if they're lactating, are needing a lot more forage, a lot more you know, nutrient requirements to meet that need. And so they're consuming more forage. And so the same 30 cows that we grazed maybe 20 years ago are not the same 30 cows that we're grazing today. And so we have to adjust our stocking rate. Um, you know, stocking's based on pounds of animal, the baseline. So pounds of animal and forage consumed that needs to meet the size of that animal. And if our animal's bigger or the demand is higher, we actually need to have more forage available and have to decrease our stocking rate to make that balance out. If we maintain the same number of animals and we've gone from a 1,200-pound cow to a 1,400-pound cow, we're overstocking now and we're going to lead to some of those overgrazing issues that we talked about. That's a lot of math, Ben. So if I was producer and I was like, okay, I know I should be able to figure this out, but I could use a little bit of help looking at how I'm going to balance out my what my grazing management strategy is against the needs of my particular herd with their genetic makeup and you know their size, all of that. So where could I go? The first thing that you can do is, I think is really important, is just to start taking notes yourself. You know, as a producer, we know our, our pastures, we know our ground, we know our animals. And so you can go back and look at your notes, really easy way, because we don't usually, you know, go through and weigh our mature cows all that frequently. But if you look at your cold cow weight, and that can kind of give you a baseline, if you look at that over the years, where our animal size has gone. You can look at your pastures and, and go over, either take a picture or write down some descriptions. And if we see an increased presence of weedy species, if we start to see some of these species that are lower productivity, we might say, okay, now we've got possibly an issue where we've been overgrazing for a while. You know, just keeping an eye on some of those trends. We don't have to necessarily sit down and, and do it with the math, but looking at those trends over time is, is really important and can be really impactful. You know, if we want to go a, a little bit beyond that and start to do some of the math, um, you know, getting a hold of some folks, South Dakota State Extension, you're always welcome to reach out to me in Nebraska or any of my colleagues that deal with livestock systems. Um, you're in our CS offices. A lot of times, if you're in an area that has a lot of grazing around it, are, are well-equipped to help answer and, and provide some answers to some of those questions as well. So um, there's a lot of resources out there. We really want to take it deep uh, to that level. But just initially, being aware of what's going on on your operation and, and keeping an eye on some of those trends can be just as impactful and important. Great information. I appreciate that. Uh, ben, is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know? I think really important point when we talk about all this, Jill, is any time that we can build flexibility into our systems, it's going to be really beneficial and important. Because as we mentioned before, you know, a lot of times precipitation drives our yield when we look at what we're going to get for production off of a pasture. And we talk about average all the time. I doubt if you actually look at what production is or, or what precipitation is over the years, there's really never a year that is right on average. And so we're constantly, you know, as producers having to adjust, we have more rain and we've got more grass than we know what to do with, or we're in a drought situation. And so having a plan for how to deal with that and having flexibility built into the system can be really beneficial. Maybe that's having haying operation on the side. And so we've got dry year, we don't hay as much ground and, and we use that for grazing now wet year, we can hay a little bit more, use some of that extra forage. Maybe it's um, working stockers into a, a portion of your operation and just having that flexibility that we can 
sell off animals or you know bring more animals on for grazing to meet the needs as they come every year. Any way that we can build some flexibility into our systems so we're not having to sell off that base herd or that we're able to take advantage of, of you know, good conditions when they occur is just really going to be beneficial and, and something that I think it's really important to spend some time sitting down thinking about and um, figuring out, you know, everyone's operations are all different and how it can work for them. Well, thank you, Ben. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Happy to chat with you, Jill. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We'll catch you next time with more guests and topics related to the current ag climate.